Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra, and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another episode of All About Art. In this episode, I sat down with Lucy Donovan, content creator and the founder of Girl and Gallery. Lucy has nearly half a million followers across various platforms, posting about art in an accessible, relatable way. Girl and Gallery is a destination where art lovers can embark on a journey of discovering new artists, interesting exhibitions, and inspiring works of art. Lucy aims to create a space where individuals with a shared appreciation for art can come together. Listen on to hear me ask Lucy about Girling Gallery and how she started creating content for the arts. We talk about what it feels like to have over 416,000 followers and the pressures that that may bring with it. She also gives very valuable advice to those aspiring to be full-time content creators and for artists who want to reach more people with their work on social media. Thank you, Lucy, for coming on the podcast. Before I dive in, I wanted to let you lovely listeners know that All About Art is on Patreon. So if you want some behind-the-scenes content, maybe a bit of merch, the chance to get one-on-ones with me and my guests, or you're simply wanting to support this project... I would be absolutely thrilled if you decided to sign up. You can do so through the link in the show notes. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have already signed up. Your support means the world, and it makes the further production, improvement, and growth of the podcast possible. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Also, thank you to our sponsors at Synergy Associates, the art world tech gurus, for supporting this episode's production at their clubhouse on Pall Mall. You can find more about Synergy and their facilities in the show notes. Welcome to the podcast, Lucy. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It is incredibly exciting to be sitting down with you for this episode. What is also exciting is that this is actually a podcast crossover with your Girl and Gallery podcast, where you interviewed me on an episode that will be released around the same time as this one comes out. Mm-hmm. I think that Girl and Gallery is a great jumping off point, so I would love to hear more about how you got started creating content and more specifically how you started creating content for the arts. Thank you for having me on. So as far as how I got started creating content, it was about two years ago that Girl and Gallery was born. I started it kind of, originally it was a little bit of a passion project type of intention in a way. I was working in corporate marketing for a little while and as much as I really did like what I was doing, it wasn't fulfilling in the creative way that I wanted to, you know, live my life. And so I started Girl and Gallery as a way to connect with people in that way. And Prior to that, prior to working in corporate, I had gone to basically every single gallery in Mayfair and beyond and knocked on the door and asked if they were hiring or for an email or something. And I I probably went to over 60, 60 to 80 galleries trying to look for some kind of internship or, or something, but it was to no avail. So when no one else opened the door, I decided to open my own. 
And now we're here and Girl and Galler has become what it is. Yeah, it certainly has become what it is because you have over 416,000 followers across your platforms. And that's incredibly impressive. And I wanted to ask you, you, do you ever feel pressure with that sort of spotlight? Because I don't see you put a lot of personal things from your life on your account. It's very, you know, focused on the art, which is as it should be. And it's lovely. But even with the amount that you do put yourself out there, how does something like that feel? So as far as pressure goes, um, the blunt answer to that part would be no, I don't feel pressure because I kind of choose not to, if that makes sense. I'm going to make content regardless of what people may think, say, or do. I can't control people's opinions of me. I can't control anything but myself, I guess, in a way, you know, that's kind of true in life as well as content. But I don't feel the pressure because I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to do it for people that enjoy seeing. I'm going to do it for the people that love it regardless. So that that helps to alleviate the pressure. As far as sharing personal stuff, the things that I do share related to art usually do actually feel quite personal to me because I'm making a video of something that I love so much or I think it's so cool and I just can't wait to post it so that someone else can share in that, right? And and provide that value to people to share in the joy that is art. Um, so that really helps. As far as the numbers go, I try not to fathom it too much. Don't look up what 100,000 people look like in a room. Oh it's my God. a little freaky. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something that I appreciate that it's there. And I understand the the power behind it and what it has allowed me to do. And I'm, I'm grateful that those numbers are there and I hope they continue, but, and I'm going to work for them to continue, but I can't think about it too much. Otherwise it can be very all consuming to think about how many people are looking at you. But at the same time, it's, it's nice to know that people enjoy it because none of those people are really, they're not there for a bad reason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, but if you think about it too much, you can kind of psych yourself out a little bit. (laughs) So you kind of just can't. And I know it sounds kind of cliche in a way, but you know, when you hear people say things like, oh, you, you know, you do have control of your emotions. You can just switch it off, whatever. Sounds easier than it is. But when you kind of tap into that ability, it's so true. Like all of the things that people, the advice that people give when it comes to stuff like that, like, oh, you can't you can't let other people's opinions of you worry you or don't take, what's the saying? Don't take it. Ad- don't take advice from those you wouldn't. Other oh, no. way around. Don't, don't take, take criticism, criticism from yeah. someone you wouldn't take advice from. Yes. I and live that is by that. so that. true. Yeah. So true. That one and my other favorite is everything is okay in the end. If it's not okay. It's not the end. Ah. So that kind of helps you get through it that it's like, okay, if you're going to criticize me or be a naysayer whatever, because I'm not done yet. Your last video doesn't define you. Your last post doesn't define you. Your last upload doesn't define you. So it kind of helps you keep on trucking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think my favorite would be comparison is the thief of joy. Oh yeah. That one too. I mean, if we're, if we're going off of all these cliches that we actually really love and and live by. They come from somewhere. They do. (laughs) They do. They do. If someone were aspiring to be a full-time content creator in the cultural sector, what are some tips that you would give them? I would give 
anybody that wants to be a content creator the same advice across the board, regardless of niche. And that would be to take it seriously because at the end of the day, it is a business. But the caveat is if you want it to be that. For example, if you were doing it to, you wanted to make videos about art, right? But you were doing it in a way that was so that you could enjoy it because you like creating these videos, you enjoy the editing process. It's more of to make your own portfolio because you actually just want to do it for fun and enjoy it. And it's something that, you know, scratches that creative itch for you. Go for it. You don't have to to take it as a business, right? Maybe you find the thing in the editing process that you love so much and you nurture that, right? But the way that you're going to see it to its fullest fruition is if you take it seriously, you know, you be for real about the whole thing. If you want it to be, you know, your full-time gig, you want it to be your job as a content creator, you have to remember that at the end of the day, it is a business. You have to operate your business. Otherwise, there's not really a job, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you have to, I guess, be, be cautious of that and hold your own, you know? And if you have the opportunity to do so, get a manager. Oh. They help infinitely. Yes. So That's that you can focus on your creative endeavors and doing what you have to do to produce the, the video, the content, et cetera, for a client. If you're working with them, managers help a lot with that. But yeah, that being said, overall, you have to treat it as a business because that's what it is if you want it to be your full-time job. Yeah. And um, just a question in terms of like the practical side of things in looking for a manager, is mm-hmm. that something like, uh, this is me showing a little bit of, of my lack of knowledge in this area, but for example, there's like Curtis Brown, talent agency, things like that. Is that something that people you think should be looking at and maybe applying for, or are there like separate like managers who do it not tied to an agency? Is that something you can like look up online? Do you know more about how to search for one if someone's looking for one? I can't say I know too specifically because I didn't find my manager in the most traditional of routes. There are content creation agencies that are cropping up in a few places. One of the ones that I know is called DMA, I believe, Digital Media agency, something like that. But a lot of the really big content creators that are, you know, their numbers are in the millions of followers um, are with them. But there are other agencies that kind of um, hit every scale. I don't know exactly how to go about that other than research diligently. Yeah. You know, always remember to have your own back. Pay attention to red flags. (laughs) If something doesn't feel right in your gut, proceed with caution. You know, you don't want to drink poison just because you're thirsty. Yeah. So, um, I wish I feel like we're going to have a list of all of these sayings. I know I do. I love a good saying, but, um, I wish I had a better, more solid advice for you, but there are content creation agencies of all sizes, shapes all over the world. Yeah. So if that's something you want to do, it would probably just be a matter of reaching out to them and looking for someone that knows how to do that. Yeah. I think that is really helpful advice because I think that a lot of people who might be listening in might not even have any idea where to start and where to go about even thinking about these things. So mm-hmm. knowing even what to put in that little search box in Google yeah. is, is Content really, creation really, manager. Yeah. It's it funny because sometimes I do just in all different things in life. Sometimes you think like, oh, I don't know how to do this. I can't figure it out, blah, 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 blah. And you kind of don't know where to start. And then it dawns on me 
dude, we have Google. Everything <laughs> starts on Google. You can do anything on the internet in, in some way, shape or form. So it's like a matter of research, like yeah. literally just research it. It is so helpful. It sounds a little bit like empty is just saying like, oh, go research it. But no, for real, actually just look it up and you'll end up down this rabbit hole. And if, if you want it that bad, you will find your answer. Yeah. You'll find it interesting to research it because you know, like, I think what's also helpful is to have like your goal in mind Mm -hmm. while you're researching, like, what do I actually want? And then it will help you define what direction you should be searching in. Mm -hmm. Like you'll think, okay, content creation, but like maybe there's someone who does it specifically for the arts or maybe there's someone, and then you kind of know what direction you should be veering your research into, which is also helpful. Yeah, exactly. Google is And it actually, it is very much. And you kind of just reminded me of something I was thinking earlier about like, if you want it that much or you're that passionate about it, you'll find it. That's another thing as far as like posting personal versus just art related kind of stuff on my page is that I'm passionate about sharing the art stuff that I like. That's where my heart lies, which is why it feels personal to me. But if I was passionate about sharing other aspects of my life, which I might be one day, but it's just not the through and through thing that I want to take to the next level. The art is what I am passionate about that helps me get through when it can be hard because like we were kind of touching on earlier, it is still a business. It can get a little rough out there sometimes. You have to push through things, right? You know, yes. life's not easy. So that that kind of helps sometimes when I remember that if you want something that bad, you will find it. Mm. You will get You will get to it some way or another. You'll mm. make it work because you have no other choice and you love it so much. So you're just crazy about it enough to go through all the other things that happen to you, you know? Yeah. In German, we have the saying, wer will findet Wege, wer nicht findet Gründe. And it means... Translation, please. <laughs> For <laughs> the other saying of the podcast, you're going to put a list out at the end. I know. It's going to be in the newsletter. We'll just put it all together. Um, and like Lucy and Alex's list to get list you to through. live by. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, it means, like translated, it's uh, those who want to will find a way and those mm. who don't will find reasons. Amen, sister. Yeah. I like that a lot. You're going to have to teach me how to say that after. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's a, a really important thing to live by. I mean, not necessarily to, to pressure yourself because I'm personally currently in a stage in my life where I need to learn when a reason is good enough to stop. When mm. I feel like, no, this isn't serving me anymore. This isn't, this is something that I actually might need to let go so that I can let other parts of my career or other parts of my goals thrive. Flourish. Yeah, yeah exactly. Just even think about what you were saying. I mean, not to give unsolicited advice, but I think that that's something that I've thought about before and another cliche, goal setting actually kind of helps because it helps you zoom out, which is something that I'm really trying to work on and have been working on for a little while is is zooming out and looking at what you're doing, like from a bird's eye view. Um, We're really going in on the cliches today. Really (laughs) zoom out, right? (laughs) And and look at what where you're trying to go and what it's going to take for you to get there. And if it's not going to take you there or even take you somewhere else, maybe fantastic that you want to go, that kind of helps at least it helps me to discern which route to take. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like just a little example from from my side is that uh, last year I went to so many PVs, met so many people. I met you at a PV. Yes. And <laughs> so these things, you know, going to PVs and networking and things like that, it does help your career. It helps it build your network. It, it makes it stronger. But I had to make a choice this year and say that 
there's a big project that I want to put more energy into. And I can't do that if I'm out at art events three times a week. Mm -hmm. I need to get enough sleep. I need to exercise. And I also really need to focus on this project that I want to be doing. Mm -hmm. Mind you, I also have a full-time job in a gallery. So that's also something that I juggle amongst the other things that I do. But the other night I was like, oh, I haven't seen this show and it's closing this week. Uh, Nicole Eisenman at mm -hmm. uh, the White Chapel. I haven't seen that. And I was like, oh. And then there was an event, an opening of a new gallery that I really wanted to go to. And I was like, no, I've made this decision to do like maybe three events a month instead of a week, right? Mm -hmm. And so anyway, long story short, I was feeling a bit of FOMO and I thought, no, no, this is your goal. So exactly what you just said about goal setting, this is your goal. This is why you're not going out and doing these things all the time. Because if you let it happen with one thing, you're going to let it happen with the other thing and then you're going to be going out again. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, exactly what you just said. Goal setting, focusing on that and reminding yourself of that even when yeah. you get FOMO. Yeah, check back at them. Yes. Yeah. Because Write it them is down. hard. Yeah. yeah. Vision. I love writing vision things boards, down. Journaling. Literally. I just looked back at my vision board from last year and I like separated out all the little things that like happened and the ones that are going to happen. Being very careful with my word choice there. See what I did? Hell yeah. <laughs> and then um, saving the ones that did happen. And I was just like, damn, I don't even remember I wrote that down, but cool. Like, <laughs> you go girl, you know, of me being the girl. But it was funny to kind of like look back at 2023 January Lucy and then be back here sitting and be like yeah that's so cool I feel that. we got yeah it. <laughs> yeah I feel that I feel that I think I need to uh I need to go back and separate my things um because I also did a vision board which is fun because it's fun to like do you have yours on like this is so not like in the script yeah. of the <laughs> but do you have yours is it like in a notebook is it like a scrapbook is it like on display what okay. does yours look this like this is gonna make me sound so nutty <laughs> I wrote mine last January and I felt like if I told anybody, I'd get too excited about the potential and get distracted by that instead of focusing on what I needed to do. So I kind of wanted to forget about it and let it be. And I didn't want anyone else to see it because I felt like if someone saw it, they could hold me accountable to it which I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but in this situation, it's actually a very good thing, but in this situation, I wanted to only be accountable to myself and kind of just see what happens rather than it being like a set list of goals that I want to check off and, and have told myself I have to achieve. It was more of like, I want these things to happen. I'm going to work for these to happen, but it's not going to be a checklist. It's more of a like a manifestation more so, you know? So I wrote them all down on little individual cards. And I took my first artwork that I ever bought for my apartment years ago and stuck them on the back of it and then re-hung it up. And when I tell you even I forgot that it was there, I put something behind it. Like, do you remember when Ai Weiwei was at Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park signing autographs? Oh. Did no. you not see that? No. Oh my gosh. It was so cool. Okay. So basically he was stood at speaker's corner and it has the history of being the place where you could go and, you know, get on your soapbox for free speech, quite literally, not a cliche this time. Yeah. And he was going through this campaign of having, um, photos with the middle finger stuck up. If you've seen those online, yeah. um, he did the, a whole thing with it. And this was a blank sheet of white paper with the middle finger impression on it, but you couldn't really see it in most lights. So it actually looked like a blank sheet of paper. And then he signed it in invisible ink. 
and I saw it on his Instagram that he was just giving them out. And I made a very big point to bring my fiance to go do it. I was waiting in line no matter what happened. And he really likes Ai Weiwei too, so it wasn't too hard to convince him. Anyways, we get to uh, Hyde Park and there's this little line of people and this little bundle. And I was like, this is it. I was rubbing my hands together. We are getting in this line and I am not someone to line up. If you have to wait for it that long, I'll just, I, I'll come back. I don't know, I, I'm not a lineup kind of person. I can't do it. So we got in line and got to the front and he was literally just stood there living his life, signing away, handing stuff. And um, I made a video about it if anybody wanted to scroll back about a year to see it. It was pretty cool. So I have the, the signed I Weiwei blank sheet of paper with invisible ink in this little card. So anyways, I was putting it behind the painting. And that's when I remembered that my manifestation goal board was there. And I was like, oh yeah, I have that back there, but I didn't want to look at it. I made sure I did not look at it, didn't acknowledge it until this year had come. And I remembered around Christmas, oh my goodness, I have a, I have a manifestation board hidden in my apartment. I have to go back and have a look at it. So then I was able to sit down like a week ago, I would say, separate it out and make little piles. Cause I'd made them an individual card. So it was nice to see like physically what happened and what's going to happen. Yeah. I think that's amazing. And I might, uh, I might take a, uh, what is it? Take a page out of your book because we're going with cliches. We actually have, you have to put a, a tally now of the cliche <laughs> phrases, <laughs> a little ding every time another one comes yeah. up. Cliche number 35. <laughs> ding. <laughs> I feel like, um, also because we were talking about, cause I, I really agree with you with, I don't really get in lines. I don't like lining up. I don't like standing in a queue. I don't, I, I, mm -hmm. but we do line up for art. Oh yeah. So that clearly I just told you I did. That's that's <laughs> something that that we can it's not necessarily a cliche but it is something that we can use later on we mm -hmm. we do line up for art. That we is the indeed. one thing we do. Because we love it that much we're willing to put in what we want to get something good out of it. So there you go, come full circle. <laughs> we clearly mean what we say, guys. Goodness gracious. <laughs> I want to go back to my little question sheet that I have here. And I want to ask you my next question, because this is for the listeners that are interested in the technology mm. of it all. What sort of equipment do you recommend for different forms of content creation? And I'm particularly curious about the lav mics that you use. Yes, of course. <laughs> so it is quite a straightforward answer. iPhone. I film 90% of my content on my phone. Even like with the sound? Yes. You're kidding. Mm -hmm. That's fabulous. Some mics that connect into my phone. It's the Rode Wireless Go 2. Okay, wait, where's a pen? <laughs> Rode Wireless Go 2. Yes, the Rode it's Wireless Go 2. I, in my brain. Yes, and then I just got a new set. They are the DJI mics. They, I believe they only have one style. I don't remember the exact model name, but those are great because it connects directly into your phone and they are Bluetooth wireless. The Rode Wireless Go has a connector that then goes into your phone and it's a little there's just like one or two more steps but um yeah those are my old faithful I actually used those to start my first few episodes of my podcast to be completely honest just put the little fluff on top and you can make it work I think that that's amazing because I feel like with the technology that we have in this day and age like it's actually so easy in terms of getting things. I mean, easy. Of course, an iPhone costs quite a bit and then, you know, getting the equipment, but it's still speaking from a podcaster, mm -hmm. quite a low barrier to entry with yes. these sorts of things. It is. Yeah. Um, Cause you likely already have a camera phone. Yes, absolutely. I, um, upgraded my phone actually about, I'd say 10 months to a year into doing girl in gallery from 
just having the regular camera to now I think I have a 13, so I got the 0.5 yeah. angle. Um, Which you use a lot in your I content. I love a 0.5 because <laughs> you can see everything and it really helps people to kind of um, put themselves in the video, if yeah. that makes sense, rather than watching it from the outside. It, it gives a little more of an all-encompassing view of what the room looks like. Yeah. Helps give the illusion of what the artist was trying to get across in the first place. Yeah. I love a so, point 0.5. I love a point 0.5. My heart it is goes good. out to whoever at Apple decided to do a point 0.5. I love you and thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. I also love a good zoom depending on depending mm-hmm. on what it is. A good, a nice little, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes oh. those like alarm uh, bars that are in front of paintings where I can't get a good close up. Yeah. That point 0.2 is also my bestie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to the point 0.2 also. <laughs> Uh, sponsored uh, by Apple, maybe? No. <laughs> One day. Manifestation board. Sponsored by Apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there we go. Future future sponsored by <laughs> Apple podcast. That's another thing. If we're going back to the manifestation thing, your words are so powerful. You have to say the things that you want to happen for your brain to believe it's already happening. And then it will just end up coming true because you'll work towards it consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. This is a future sponsored by Apple podcast. Mm-hmm. Indeed it is. Yeah. We'll come back to this in 2025 and see what happens. <laughs> uh, my penultimate question for you is, do you have any advice for artists on how to use social media to get their work out there? Yes. So that is something that a lot of artists have asked me. I do get quite a few messages about this. So I'm glad that I can you spread this seed widely. That being said, I do understand that a lot of artists struggle with it because it is quite, social media can feel quite all consuming. I think that, and this is kind of advice for everybody, you have to make it work for you before you start working for it. Otherwise you will get sucked in like a black hole or quicksand or whatever other cliche you want to call it. It'll get you. So you have to be cautious of that. And I'm very, I'm very understanding and aware of that possibility. So I would say the best thing to do for someone like an artist who may struggle with how to do it consistently to get their work out there is to set aside maybe let's say one day a month, for example, and photograph all your stuff, take some videos of stuff, watch some other artists' videos and what they're making, see what people are posting that's doing well, and Put your two cents in there. Put your twist on that, that maybe that trend of a video or that style of content. Do it all maybe over a day, maybe two days if you're feeling, if you're really feeling like it, feeling ambitious. And you can use software online, websites like, I believe one of them is called Later. And you can schedule your posts to go out over the next month so that you can focus on your work because I truly believe artists' purpose on earth is to create their art, Right. That's what they've been called to do. And they should be able to do that. I think that's another reason why we have galleries, because it's to do the business side of, of their paintings and to get their work out there and connect them with collectors, right? Absolutely. But now that artists and humans in general have direct access to each other with the invention of the internet, um, it's easier to get your work out there your own way. Or it's easier to get your work out there directly from yourself, right? And have your voice on your page so people can connect with you, which is a beautiful thing, right? As much as sometimes the internet seems like it can be a little Armageddon sci-fi movie, (laughs) you have to, or at least I like to look at it from the positive. It's a nice way to connect with people directly from you to them without having to um, 
sit at a loud coffee shop and yell over each other. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the connections that I, I will forever be grateful for the little community that I have on through, through my social media. I mean, I was trying to research something the other day and I asked a question and like, I mean, you were someone who answered my, my little question on, on oh, the yeah. secret societies you gave oh, me. Oh yeah, the Culper Spies. Yeah. So cool. That's a fiction book you said. It's a, or is it a fiction? No, they were real. Oh. Oh yeah. Basically. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. I really love, I like inception trippy kind of little known secret stories behind things, right? I think that I do a lot of videos actually about like stories behind paintings. I like the kind of intrigue stories. So I was watching this show years ago and they were talking about the Culper spies. The Culper spies were basically this, this spy ring during the American Revolutionary War. I sound so American right now, it's insane. But basically they were a group of kind of higher ranking officials, I guess. I believe Ben Franklin was one of them. Fact check me on that, but I believe he was. And they were kind of this secret little society of families that were trying to help the war, but in a more, um, I don't want to call them the Illuminati, but like in a less <laughs> creepy Illuminati kind of way. And they would have secret codes that they'd send each other in newspaper ads and stuff. But remember, America became a country in... 1776. So this had to have been happening before that. So think about how long ago that was and they were thinking of all these like clever little methods. Oh, I don't know. It gives me the shivers. I love stuff like that. Well, I've been like deep diving into the world of secret societies. Yeah. And right now, I mean, I, I spoke to someone who actually was in one. Shut up. It was really cool, like a university one. So uh -huh. that was really cool. This project that I'm working on might not even see the light of day. So passion I appreciate project. it is a passion project. And so it might not even, I mean, who knows? And the people who have given me like all of this feedback and things. But basically that's how I felt so grateful for like the community that I have. Because as soon as I said, does anyone know anything about secret societies? And then all of a sudden, like a bunch of people were giving me these answers, mm -hmm. like look into this, look into that. And I'm like still researching a lot of the yeah. things. Like I haven't even researched your suggestion yet mm -hmm. and I'm excited to, but <laughs> I have like a bunch of different ones. And then the person who was in one was like, yeah. let's have a call. And I was like, oh my God. That's so cool. <laughs> That's why like with this community, because going back to what mm -hmm. we were talking about in terms yeah. of building that community. Those numbers are real, man. They are, they really are. But let's not psych ourselves out with a hundred thousand again. <laughs> I mean, for me, even nearly 5,000 now, I think, uh, I, I remember when I did the Ted talk, which I talk mm -hmm. more about on your podcast when you mm -hmm. interview me, um, I had around, I think it was 200 people in the room. Mm -hmm. And I remember standing there and I was just like, my heart was racing. And the first like two minutes of the talk, I felt like, my voice was jittery. I don't think it was. And when I watch the video back, it doesn't seem mm -hmm. jittery, but I felt like it was. Oh yeah. And I feel like that always happens when you're recording your first few questions, first few lines, first few, whatever. Yeah. It's all, you have to warm up. You have to warm up. You, you have, have to, to warm up. You have to stretch a little bit first, but it's hard to stretch in front of 250 people exactly. when they're waiting for you to actually just do your thing. Exactly. Exactly. I did, um, pre my because we're going off of cliches and things to live by and blah yes, blah blah there is this amazing ted talk mm -hmm. on power posing 
Oh, the Superman pose, 100% yeah. works. And I went in and I remember we were all in this like, well, it was like an upstairs backstage area mm-hmm. and it was me and the other speakers. And I was just standing there. I said, guys, I'm eating a banana and I'm going to power pose right now. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of them actually Your did Wonder it with Woman me. Pose. <laughs> and that, I'm sure that made it even better. It's just yeah. so crazy to me. This is something that I've probably been thinking about for a couple months now. But all the stuff that people tell you when you look at like inspiration podcasts, people that are trying to encourage you to, you know, to go out there, do your thing, work hard and achieve it. And all these little methods and tips that you hear that kind of sound like they're just talking, they're not just talking. That stuff is so real and so powerful when you let it work and you actually try do it. Yeah. And sometimes it feels funny at first, but that is just something that I keep like, you know that emoji that has like the exploding brain thing? Yeah. Yeah, that's me for the past few few months because it's just so freaking cool it works it does it really does it literally works thing like even when you were asking me about like advice for content creators the thing where I said you to take it for real you know be serious about it those are the kind of things that I mean is like actually adopt those practices to help yourself do better because the people that are telling you these things you found them for a reason yeah you know they've gotten to where they are for a reason and sometimes it seems harsh but you know sometimes life's a little harsh you gotta suck it up Tie your big girl boots on tighter or big boy boots, whatever, and get going with it. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of, you like just have to, if that's what you want so bad. And if you want it bad enough, you'll find a way to do it regardless and you're going to love it. Absolutely. Sometimes having discipline does lead to more freedom. Mm-hmm. Another cliche. Ding. There we go. <laughs> but it's true. I, I I think that, you know, it it can be really difficult, especially in the arts, because this sector is not yet as... Uh, as structured as I think maybe other sectors might be. Like I've experienced it personally where I'm like, it's so rare to actually have like check-ins with your manager and having structured quote unquote corporate approach to things is Mm -hmm. so seldomly implemented in the arts. But some of those things actually do. They were there for a reason. Exactly. And I think that coming from corporate where I was, I mean, it was a fairly relaxed environment overall, but it was still a corporate company. Working in that job kind of helped instill a structure in me that I think was really helpful. While I was working to get Girl and Gallery up and running, I had to be up at a certain time. I had a job to do, but I also had to find a way to do the work that I was doing for myself, for Girl and Gallery, in a way that didn't affect my actual job um, at the time. And it taught me that kind of structure. And the manager that I had was fantastic. I got I got so lucky with the managers that I worked with. They're all very respectful of everybody's time and effort. And they actually wanted to help you. And it was it was a very symbiotic situation. And I'm honestly so grateful for it because it taught me how to work with other people in that way. It taught me how to be a manager in some senses and how I would like to be a leader in one way or another one day. When we even though we all kind of judge corporate for being a little bit soul sucking. You have to take the good stuff from it. Yeah. Shout out to the managers that support Mm -hmm. their staff. I mean, that is angels on earth gift from God. You know, when you have a good manager that has your back, you are so lucky. Yeah. And I, I never once would let myself kind of waver on that, you know, because it could have been a mess (laughs) and I'm so glad it wasn't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely feel that. I mean, and uh, when when did you start doing full time like Girl in Gallery? June 2023. June. 
That's so recent. Well, July 1st would have been my first first day. Oh my God. That's so recent. Mm -hmm. Wow. I had no idea. They were really great as far as like when I left, they they had known about Girl and Gallery for a little while, but obviously I started it when I was already there in the more passion project-y kind of just wanted to connect with people that love what I love kind of way and it took off and I saw it through and then was able to tell them like, I'm going to love you and leave you. Yeah. <laughs> Bye. I'm going to yeah, go fun. do my thing. It was really cool. It was really crazy that people were like, wait, you're actually going to do it full time? Yes, I am. Thank you very much. Of course I am. It's what I've been working for, you know? Yeah. You took it seriously. I did. Very. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lucy, I have my final question for you. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun one to end the episode. I ask all of my guests on here. If you could pick one artist from art history to have dinner with, who would it be and why? Can I pick an artist per course? Sure. Cool. Because <laughs> I don't have one single answer for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> of course you can. We're flexible here on All About Art. <laughs> okay. So for my starter, <laughs> I would like to sit down with Diego Velasquez because I've got questions. A few years ago, my best friend was living in Madrid and I went to go visit her. And Madrid being the home of the Prado and the Reina Sofia, there were some things I wanted to see and go do and, you know, go see these museums. And around this time was when I really started to get into actually caring about art in a different way. Um, Because side note, my whole thing with Girl in Gallery is you don't have to care that deeply to enjoy it, right? But this is when I was going from being in a place to, of just thinking, oh, that looks cool. I like that. And that being fulfilling enough for me at the time to wanting to know a few more people's names and wanting to know why and what. And I was really interested in the story, right? I was getting into it. So I did a lot of research of paintings that were at these museums. And my friend was really into art history as well. She took a course when she was there. So she knew a couple of the stories behind it. So we were really like licking our lips to get into the Prado, right? And we saw Las Meninas, by Diego Velasquez. And that painting is over 500 years old. Um, If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you look it up because it is the trippiest thing that you could imagine when you put it into context and perspective of when it was made. 500 years old and the painting is basically inception because you're basically at the perspective of the person being painted, looking at the artist in the room around you. For 500 years ago, that's crazy. Like, that's actually wild that that's what he did. So um, over our starter, I'd like to know where in the world he got that idea. I need my answer for that. So I'd sit down and I would say, please tell me where you got the idea for Las Meninas. I need to know. For my main course, another painting I saw at the Prado is The Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch. I'd like to sit down with him and ask him where he got this idea for all of these wild creatures because they are like the scary nightmare precursor to Dr. Seuss. They're nuts. Where did he get these ideas? They're fantastically nuts. And there's so many unanswered questions about Bosch and things about his life and where he got his skill from and how he like harnessed that and nurtured his ability that's understood but not confirmed. I need my answers, which is clearly a theme for me today. I want answers. <laughs> and then for dessert, because dessert is the, the last course, I think I'd like to speak to 
and she's not technically an artist, but she's been painted many times, Isabella Stewart Gardner. Have you heard of her? No. Okay. I'm, I'm like, mm, another tell me thing, <laughs> another thing I am obsessed with is the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. It's in Boston. It's a whole museum. Yes, ma'am. I hope you have an hour because I am so bad at, at keeping this story to a minimum. I am enthralled with it. Okay. Isabella Stewart Gardner was a slightly eccentric, fabulous woman from Boston in, I believe, the 1800s, late 1800s. Okay. And she was a patron of the arts, traveled. Her and her husband were big collectors, like to the point that in the 1890s, I believe, fact check me on that one also, um, she was going to auctions against the Louvre for these paintings. Yeah. And she won a few of them. And she, she was very cool. When she passed away, she had her museum or her home actually exactly left as she decorated it and turned it into a museum for the public from then. So it's a few hundred years old. It's a replica of a Venetian mansion that she used to stay in, right? And she has Vermeers. She has Velasquez's. She has Rembrandt's, not Velasquez's, I think. <laughs> um, I was looking, I was thinking of the painting in my, in my mind. But she collected all these paintings, and now that museum is actually the home to the largest art theft that has been unsolved ever in history. Oh, my God. Yes. So The plot thickens. Oh, I know. It just it's keeps wild. getting thicker and There's thicker. There's an amazing podcast um, on WBUR, a Boston station, that they did called Last Scene. Okay. And it's a 10-part podcast series about the theft. And the... We'll link that in the show notes. It's we'll find so it good. Uh, Netflix did a series on it. They, it's been talked about quite a few times, but I think the WBUR is probably the best because they actually interview some of the people that were involved in the whole situation. Yeah. But it is... It was happened in 1990, I believe, or 1991. It's still unsolved. And it was Rembrandt's only seascape that he ever painted, ever, ever, ever. It's called Christ on the Sea of Galilee. It is still missing. There's a Vermeer that's still missing um, and a couple other things. But oh, you have to go listen to the podcast. <laughs> but basically, the reason I would like to speak to her over dessert is because it might cheer her up from the fact that the question I'd like to ask her is, what do you feel about what happened to your wonderful home? Because if she's looking down from the clouds in heaven, she's got to know what happened to her poor house. Mm. And I'd like to know how she feels about it. And I'd like to know about her love for her paintings yeah, and the whole situation. I just want her, I want to get back to the person who created this wonderful thing that now is kind of, I guess in a way, oh, I don't want to say overshadowed, but... Yeah. Because it still exists. It's still yes, standing. it People still stands still... on its own. Yeah. But the painting frames are still empty because they cut the paintings out. So the, the frames are hung on the wall empty. And you can see them. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And the guards will tell you anything if you want, like when you're standing in them. They'll say like, oh, yeah, that was that one. That was that one. Um, so they're very open about it. They do talk about it. There's been a million books written about it. But she was such a fascinating woman hmm. that I'd like to sit down over dessert with her. And I hope that the chocolate cake in front of her will make her feel a little bit better, a little bit more comforting. What a meal. What a meal. Lucy. I can't pick just what. <laughs> I completely understand. Whenever someone tries to turn the question back on me, I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I'm not going to answer that. But that's pretty good. That was amazing. Um, Lucy, that concludes all of my questions and thus also the episode. So thank you so much for coming on All About Art. Thank you for having me. 
And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.